What is up, Solo Cups? My name is John Solo, and we're only two months into 2023, but I already don't have the energy to put up with all the nonsense this year. Don't get me wrong, things have gotten a little better since I posted this episode to YouTube last year. The CEO of YouTube, who constantly prioritized corporate interests over the user base, has officially stepped down. The panic around COVID-19 has almost completely ceased, and celebrities are still doing shit to get themselves canceled, but two out of three ain't bad. Despite all the progress we've made though, I still wouldn't mind pulling a Rip Van Winkle and just sleeping through the next few decades of this world's crap and waking up when cooler heads have prevailed. But that begs the question, how many of you actually understand the reference I just made? Do younger generations nowadays even know who Rip Van Winkle is? I will admit, I never knew that much about him until researching for this episode. He's not exactly a pop culture icon, so my only exposure to him was way back in the day when my parents would call me Rip Van Winkle for sleeping until noon. Outside of that, I heard his name referenced in Red Dead Redemption 2. Mr. Vanderland, Mr. Matthews, I presume. And who are you? Rip Van Winkle. Huh. Good day, sir. But since that doesn't offer any insight on the character, literally the only thing I ever knew about Rip is that he was a very sleepy boy. And while his sleeping is indeed a central component to his story, there is a lot more going on in the world around Rip Van Winkle that's worth taking a look at, as well as some other folktales that also follow protagonists who hit the snooze button a few thousand times too many. Chapter 1. The Rip Van Winkle Story Today's story is officially titled Rip Van Winkle, a posthumous writing of Diedrich Knickerbocker. Some much-needed context, Diedrich Knickerbocker was a fictional historian whose notes that American author Washington Irving claimed to be referencing when telling tall tales like this one. It's also what I'm naming my firstborn child, regardless of gender. Interestingly enough, Irving also used an alias for the collection this story was included in, the sketchbook of Jeffrey Crayon, Gentleman. Apparently, Homeboy was a huge fan of pseudonyms and used many of them throughout his career, including Jonathan Old Style, Gentleman, Lancelot Langstaff, and Fray Antonio Agassiz. Pita. The sketchbook was released in six installments from 1819 to 1820 in both English and American editions. I didn't bother to look into the differences, but I would guess that the English version just adds a bunch of letters where they don't belong, like you and the words color and armor. The Legend of Sleepy Hollow is the other popular story found in this collection and was included in the final installment. The Rip Van Winkle story is set in southeastern New York, and it opens with a few paragraphs detailing the beauty of the Catskill Mountains. Irving pontificates about how they appear to change shape and color depending on the time of day and what angle you're viewing them from. He goes into such detail that you almost wouldn't believe he'd never actually seen them in person at this point. After being introduced to the setting, we get to meet the protagonist, Rip Van Winkle, who's said to be a kind neighbor and generally loved by everyone. Everyone except for his wife, Dame Van Winkle. You see, Rip was a great guy. He spent time with the neighborhood kids, teaching them how to play sports and telling them ghost stories. He was always willing to lend a helping hand to his neighbors whenever they needed it, and was even willing to do the Charlie work that nobody else wanted to. The problem with this, in Irving's words, was that Rip was seemingly incapable of working profitably. In the words of Irving, he'd rather starve on a penny than work for a pound. 
When not wasting his time on profitless pursuits, he'd waste his time sitting outside the local King George Inn, conversing with the village philosophers, storytellers, and sages about town drama and politics. But it always seemed that no matter where he tried to hide, Rip's wife would track him down and nag him until he agreed to return home. One day, in a desperate attempt to escape his wife's piercing gaze and sharp tongue, he walked deep into the woods with Wolf, his dog and partner in crime. Only Rip got so lost in his own thoughts that he made it all the way to the peak of the Catskill Mountains without realizing it. After arriving at the top, he spent hours hunting for squirrels, unsuccessfully, and admiring the view. Before long, nightfall had come, and Rip began to dread the thought of returning home to his wife empty-handed after having disappeared all day. Just as he stood up to make his way home, Rip heard someone in the distance call his name, and when he looks in that direction, he sees what appears to be one of his neighbors struggling to carry something. But when he approached the man, Rip realized he was a total stranger and very unusual looking. He had a long grizzled beard and was wearing clothes that would be more fitting to a Dutchman from centuries prior as opposed to an American in the 1700s. Despite the surprise, Van Winkle agreed to help the stranger carry what turned out to be a barrel of ale up the mountain. And a short while later, they arrived at his home base where several of his similarly dressed compatriots were playing a game of nine pins, AKA bowling for Europeans. What was so curious about these lads outside of their outdated fits was that every knockdown of their pins rang through the mountains like thunder. And while they quickly gathered around to drink the ale that was just delivered, not a single one of them showed an ounce of excitement on their face or said, thank you. Can you believe that? At a certain point, Van Winkle sneaks a taste of the drink and it's delicious, so he helped himself to a pint. And then another, and then another, until his eyes swam in his head, his head gradually declined, and he fell into a deep sleep. When Rip woke up, it was a bright sunny morning with green grass blooming and birds chirping. His eyes felt like they had sunk back into his head and he was in disbelief that he slept at those weirdos clubhouse all night. Stranger still, his gun, which had been in perfect condition the day before, was all rusted out and his dog, who would never leave his side, was nowhere to be found. Rip decides the strangers from last night must have robbed him and he starts his journey back to town, bracing himself for a lashing from his wife. But on the way there, he notices the people he's passing by are all strangers, which is odd because he thought he knew everyone in the village. A few minutes later, he arrives at his family's house, or should I say, what's left of it. The whole structure is falling apart and looks like it's been abandoned for quite some time. When Rip calls out to his family to see if they're nearby, he doesn't receive an answer. And while considering what to do next, he scratches his chin and realizes his beard is a foot long. Homeboy is starting to panic and resorts to heading to the King George Inn to ask his intellectual friends if they could shed some light on what's happened. But when he gets there, he sees the name has been changed to the Union Hotel. And where there used to be a portrait of King George, there was now a painting of George Washington. At this point, Rip had started to gather a crowd of curious people around him. They wanted to know what this weird, panicky old man was all about, so they started asking him questions, like who he voted for. And when he says he's a loyal supporter of King George, they start to swarm on him. Luckily, he's able to calm them down by saying he wants no trouble and is just in search of his old neighbors. But as he lists off those neighbors, the crowd informs him that they all either died in the war or moved away. This was all getting to be just a bit too much for Rip's brain to comprehend when he makes eye contact with a young woman whose face he vaguely remembers and who's holding a fat little baby that she calls Rip. Suddenly, something in his brain clicked. He asked the woman's name and she introduced herself as Judith 
Then he asked about her father and she sadly replied that he'd gone missing 20 years ago. After hearing this, Rip completely understood what happened. He told his daughter all about his journey into the mountains two decades prior and the Dutch man with the barrel and a local historian who was fittingly the oldest man in the village verified his claims. Apparently that Dutchman was on the crew of Dutch explorer Hendrik Hudson, the namesake of the Hudson River, which flows right through the Catskills. In other words, the group of weirdos that Rip ran into were all ghosts and whatever they were drinking was a little too strong for mortals. So when Rip passed out, he fell asleep for 20 years, right through the Revolutionary War. In that time, his wife had died after bursting a blood vessel in her head while yelling at a peddler. And his daughter had married a cheery farmer who happened to be one of the same children who Rip used to play with back in the day. Meanwhile, Rip's son grew up to be just like him and was known for tending to anything but his own business. Now you might think that Rip was bummed out to lose 20 years of his life, but there was a perk that came with old age. He could now spend all his time doing nothing and no one could get mad at him for it. So he went right back to his old ways as if nothing had changed and he'd tell his story to any passersby that would listen. Chapter two, bedtime stories. So that, my friends, was Rip Van Winkle by Washington Irving. It's a pretty strange story, and I'll be honest, I don't think I'm smart enough to analyze it like it deserves. It's just hard to pull much meaning out of a guy who hates his wife helping a bunch of ghosts get drunk and then sleeping through the Revolutionary War. What I can tell you is the story was inspired by a nostalgic conversation that Irving had with his brother-in-law while staying with him and his sister in England. Irving was reminiscing about living in America, and when the inspiration hit, he locked himself in his room and wrote through the night, presenting the first draft of the story to his sister and her husband over breakfast. Now, while it is pretty impressive he wrote the whole story in one night, it should be mentioned that he took the structure of Rip Van Winkle from a German story called Peter Klaus the Goat Herd, written by Johann Karl Christoph Nazgul in the 1700s. Don't get me wrong, Irving did change some things around and added a ton of exposition about the Catskill Mountains, but a surprise number of the same story beats can be found in Peter Klaus. The biggest difference is that instead of hiding in the mountains to escape his nagging wife, Peter winds up in a cave after chasing one of his goats that wandered astray. Just like Rip, Peter also drinks with a bunch of ghosts who are playing nine pins, but instead of being Dutch explorers, they're knights of the shining armor variety. He eventually passes out in intoxicated bliss, and when he wakes up, he finds himself in a world that he doesn't recognize, and it's not until he meets his now-grown daughter, who tells him about her father who went missing 20 years ago, that he finally figures out what happened. Like I said, almost the exact same story, but to Irving's credit, he did come up with a catchier name. Rip Van Winkle is a lot more memorable than Peter Klaus. For those wondering, we don't actually know why Irving decided on that name, but it turns out that Van Winkle was a relatively common last name for Dutch immigrants living in New York from the 17 to 1800s. So that probably has something to do with it. Peter and Rip aren't the only characters to have gone through such a traumatic experience though. It turns out that falling asleep for a really long time is a pretty common trope in folklore and myth, but the two most notable examples come from the Greeks and the... Christians. We'll start with the Christian one because it was written a little more recently and some of you might actually be familiar with it. It's called The Seven Sleepers of Ephesus and just a heads up, it incorrectly frames Christians from the classical era as victims and completely understates the role they had in the destruction of one of the greatest cultures to ever exist. The story takes place around 250 AD and follows a group of Christians as they flee from Rome after the Emperor Decius declares that anyone who refuses to sacrifice to the gods shall be executed. It may sound like a harsh punishment, but there were exceptions. For example, Judaism was a long established religion at that point, so Jews got a free pass. 
for once. Not to mention, radicalized Christians had already done some serious damage to the temples and statues that were sacred to the old gods under their bishop's orders, so Decius had to remind the church who was in charge. Anyway, those Christians who went into hiding find a cave to sleep in and wake up around 200 years later during the reign of Theodosius II, after Christianity has ripped out the soul of the Roman world. Only they don't realize it's been that long, so to them, it's a literal miracle to see crucifixes where statues of the gods stood just a day before. As you might be able to tell, I'm not the biggest fan of this story. To me, it treats the disappearance of the old ways of worshiping like they just magically vanished, as opposed to being violently oppressed, which is pretty disgusting. If you wanna learn more about that, then I highly suggest you read The Darkening Age by Catherine Nixie. This book literally changed the way I see the world and completely wiped out that deeply embedded Christian guilt that pretty much anyone raised around that religion carries with them. In the meantime though, let's talk about the oldest Rip Van Winkle story that's ever been found. This one follows a guy named Epimenides, and what's really interesting about him is that he was supposedly a real person. The story goes that, like Peter Klaus, he was chasing after a sheep that wandered away from its flock, and then he took a power nap in a cave that was sacred to Zeus. That power nap lasted for 57 years, and the weird thing is, he was still tired. Immediately after waking, he returns to his father's farm and learns it's owned by somebody else. Then he goes back home and finds a new family living there. Also like the other stories, Epimenides doesn't actually put together what happened until he runs into a relative, his younger brother who's now an old man, and tells him it's been 57 years. That's actually only the beginning of Epimenides' full story, though. He goes on to purify Athens from the corruption of its previous rulers and produce several written works covering subjects like the creation of the universe and the expedition of the Argonauts. Sadly, we'll never get to read those because they were lost or destroyed, but man, I would love to hear another poet's take on the Theogony or the Argonautica. Anyway, if Epimenides was indeed a real person, I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that his sleeping for several decades was a mythologized part of his backstory and didn't actually happen. I know, it's a hot take, but at this point, it's what I'm known for. But that solo fam was the messed up origins of Rip Van Winkle, one of the most pointless stories I think I've ever covered. I mean, when you think about it, nothing happened. The main character sleeps through all the action and when he wakes up, he's literally overjoyed that he can spend the rest of his life doing nothing without getting shit on for it. Don't get me wrong, it's not a bad story and there's a few clever turns of phrase in there that I'll work into my vernacular going forward, but for most people, I think a summary like this would be preferable to actually reading it. Maybe I'm wrong though. The solo fan could be made up entirely of Rip Van Winkle stands and I'd have no idea. Thank you all for tuning in to the Messed Up Origins podcast. We're posting episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So don't forget to sacrifice the five-star and follow buttons to the algorithm gods to make sure they bless your feed with more mythological and folklore content. If you have any thoughts on this episode you'd like to share, like if you really enjoyed it or are dying to correct my pronunciation of something, hit me up under the Messed Up Origins handles on Twitter and Instagram. And to those who are craving more Messed Up Origins, feel free to check out other episodes episodes of the podcast or look up my YouTube channel called John Solo to experience the original episodes complete with visual aids and custom made artwork. Until next time, Solo fam, my name is John Solo and don't forget, John shot first. <laughs>